This is Swampside Chats, the podcast where communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. But more importantly, this is Swamp Trek, where we talk about Star Trek instead. On this episode, we travel back in time to burn down an Arby's. All to preserve our destiny in fully decimated nuclear space communization. Who better to invite on to help us smash up the Sanctuary District than the Posada Sovrap Viantifada? Just in time for a global Netflix and chill lockdown session, Jamie and Andy join us to watch our first Deep Space Nine episode, Past Tense, Part One. And yes... This is the first part of a two-part discussion. We have a very special treat for you tonight. This is the third installment of the Swamp Trek series, where we bring some of our favorite show guests back to watch delectable morsels of Star Trek. This time we picked critical favorite 90s Trek series. This is uh, Deep Space Nine, which was known for being the more like gritty and politically complicated and dark Trek series. Tonight we have our special guests from the Antifada. We've got Jamie and Andy. Hello. Hello. Tonight we're watching season three, a gripping two-parter. It's past tense, parts one and two. So that'll be episodes 11 and 12 of this season. If you are so inclined, you can get your red blockbuster killer website or your Jeff Bezos streaming platform service, or perhaps the green one with the Hawaiian name. If you want to follow along with us, we're going to be doing a nice little commentary for you listeners at home. So in, I don't know, like a few minutes, we'll do a big old NASA style countdown and we'll hit the space bar and joy will be had. So come join with us if you want. So why this pair of episodes specifically? Like, why are we talking about this two-parter? Of all the Star Treks we'd be doing. So Past Tense is the most communization of all 90s Trek episodes because it basically says that in history, if this riot didn't happen, there wouldn't be space communism. And it's the goal of our protagonists to go back in time to make sure a riot happens because it's an essential historical turning point towards the Federation, the establishment of the utopian society that Star Trek is about. Yeah. We've been talking about doing this one for a while and it's interesting that we're doing it now because I, I swear to God, I've seen like a screen cap from like this episode, like circulating around like left book and like internet places. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, there was somewhere like this in all the Earth's major cities in the 2020s or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So because, yeah, this takes place like in a what 2024, right? Like a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, it's not too far from now. Basically now. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. It's so close. Yeah. It's chilling. I mean, what you're what we're about to watch, you know, I kind of described it as like dinner theater children of men, you know, (laughs) It very much kind of reminded me of like the uh, slum scenes 
or the kind of confined ghettos they put the people in and children of men it's kind of like that but like much lower budget and uh it's kind of like quaint like 90s tv version of that it's almost like the difference between like heat and la takedown you know what i'm saying and in 40 years the vulcans are gonna come yeah, the the Posadas Deus Ex Machina will eventually pull us out of this. And I had never seen this before, but I had read about it in, I think, one of the George Gonzalez books about Star Trek. He's a University of Miami professor who's written one book saying that Star Trek is socialist, another saying that it's uh, Hegelian. And he, he's not interpreting them in a Marxist or Hegelian way. He's saying that they are, and just like the writers are sending us these messages. Um, and I remember reading that part of the Star Trek mythos or uh, the, the backstory is there was a riot against neoliberalism that starts in San Francisco that in a way uh, leads up to World War III, which leads to first contact. Yeah, let's go. Hey, what's y'all's background with Trek? Is it like this is something you grew up with? I watched some episodes here and there when I was a kid, when they were on television. That's pretty much the limitations of my Star Trek knowledge. Um, but when I did watch it, I remember mostly watching Deep Space Nine. Wow. wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. Not a common story. No, not at all. I think it was on like UPN or something. Yeah, UPN back in the day was like the first series I actually kind of watched was Voyager. That was mm-hmm. UPN. I've watched a lot of the original and Generation, and the, I like the movies a lot, but almost nothing else. But that mm-hmm. didn't stop me from uh, writing an article about it for the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make it so. so. Which was very good. Thank you. I was mostly uh, original series and Next Generation as well. And um, recently, I accidentally mentioned watching Star Trek to somebody at work. And as my like s- secret Santa gift, I then received a mug that when you put hot liquid in it, like coffee, Kirk and the crew beam from one side of the coffee mug to the other You've seen those mugs that, like, change with heat, right? Oh, hell yeah. I have one. And so they beam onto this rocky planet. Uh, Oh, my God. Didn't I get you a a Star Trek Mm -hmm. Federation wine glass? You certainly (laughs) did. Oh, my God. No, I thought that was a very thoughtful gift. Yeah. Oh, it was really sweet. I'm currently drinking my third Rock Digino of the day out of a functioning within normal parameters coffee mug. Your third what now? Rock Tagino is the hipster Klingon coffees that they drink on Deep Space Nine oh, instead yeah. of drinking that. like Earl Grey hot or something. You know, the Klingons are like allied, but in like weird tension with the Federation throughout Deep Space Nine. And because they were at one point the villains of the Trek series, it's just kind of like an ironic wink that everyone drinks the Klingon variant of coffee. I see. Yes. Anyway, I'm very entertained by this. I don't know if there's any Raktagino in this episode, these episodes, but um, shall we count it down, Jake? Yeah, so I got it on like two seconds exactly. I think that's where I was able to get it to. Two seconds. Two okay. seconds. What the fuck that's... is No, 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 no. Jake, Jake. We, we've just... all got to sync okay. to Jake's two seconds. It'd be I... nice if you did. I mean, you that... don't have to. Let's no, start Jake. It from the beginning. Hey, so I got it on zero. I got it on zero. I got it on zero. <laughs> oh my God. I'm doing this on a Roku TV. So, like, it's, it's you know. I was going to ask. Very, like, sensitive, but I got it. I'm at zero. Are you, like, controlling this with a Wiimote? Like, what are you doing? It looks like one. <laughs> it's like the little chintzy ass, like, you know, Roku remote. You know, it doesn't oh, have buttons enough. Or, yeah. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Okay, viewers at home, this extra time gives you just a little more time. To pull up this lovely 
two-part episode of television that somehow aired during the 90s. I really encourage you to pull up whatever platforms you got. You know what? Actually, fuck Jeff Bezos. Give me a second. I have this on Laserdisc. I just got to get this set up. Hang on. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Probably looks sweet on Laserdisc. <laughs> Oh my god. Apparently there was like a laser disc and you can only buy like two episodes at a time or some shit like that. Holy shit. Yeah. They seemed to only do like select episodes. Like it wasn't like you had like a whole season oh. of like laser discs or whatever. Right. So they probably didn't pick the most politically charged two parter in Star Trek history. Right. Got it. What's the most political one from Next Generation? Was it Next Generation when they unfreeze those people from capitalist twentieth century America? And they're yes. all confused about space communism. That was pretty good. Oh, yeah. That guy wants to talk to the captain of the ship like he wants to speak to the manager, like he thinks it's a fucking carnival. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Something. That is the neutral zone, which is the season one finale. That was the first Swamp Trek that we did. Then there's also one mm-hmm. where they have the hostage situation and all this stuff about terrorism and national liberation that's pretty interesting. The one I'm thinking of is, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one that introduces the Maquis Rebellion, where Picard learns that he's the descendant of like a French colonialist. And <laughs> he's called in to squish yeah. a rebellion of Native American settlers because there was some peace treaty with space fascists. And they have to like basically convince these Native Americans to leave their land. The show basically comes down against the protagonists and the heroes. <laughs> I feel like there's a scene in that episode where like Picard is just sitting at the table with him like, now I know this looks bad, but we need you to move. So where, where are we at, Grant? Are you, are you ready to rock and roll on this? Or? He's on a vision quest like Leslie Crusher in that season seven episode I was talking about. Indeed. How you doing, Grant? Yeah, hey, I got it. Okay, cool. All right. Ready okay. to countdown? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Engage. All right. We're rolling here. Commander's log. This is so exciting. My senior staff and I have been asked to address the annual Starfleet Symposium on the current situation in the Gamma Quadrant. I'm looking forward to the opportunity and to visiting my sister in Portland. I got all excited to see what their version of Portland was going to be like. And then uh, they never delivered. Sorry, Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein. Yeah, the dream of the 2490s could be alive in Portland. What color the water is. We'd better get ready, Benjamin. Dinner tonight with Admiral Drasman. Yeah, it's kind of starts on the the, the, uh, the Define or whatever, which I guess that was something they were hesitant to bring in, but eventually they did. Fine table linens, a different fork for every course. Thanks, but no thanks. That's why I stayed an enlisted man. They don't expect me to show up for these formal dinners. Major, Constable, would you care to join us? No, thank you. I'd say this is strictly a Starfleet occasion. Commander, I'm receiving an incoming emergency message. It's from DS9. On screen. Commander, am I glad to see you. This better be good, Quark. You're on an emergency channel. I just received a message from the Grand Nagus. He wants me to remind you of the critical role he played in establishing contact with... I've heard it said that, like, DS9 is kind of a more about kind of, like, 90s-style, like, multiculturalism and sort of learning to deal with, like, the other or whatever in a way that, Mm. you know, the sort of maybe, like, more straightforward modernism of, like, previous incarnations of the show weren't. Slight misunderstanding, I'm sure. A misunderstanding the Nagus no doubt wants to be cleared up. I do owe him a favor. 
he thinks so too. And to quote the 111th rule of acquisition, treat people in your debt like family, exploit them. I have been reading up. You can Cisco's quoting the rules of acquisition. Yeah, I guess this is like another thing that kind of distinguished him is that because he like sort of built relationships with uh, these different sort of alien races, he had to like, I guess like acquire aspects of their culture, which other like captains didn't really do because they would just kind of ship off to like the next, you know, the next place. She's all yours, Major. Energize, Mr. O'Brien. Aye, sir. Now, one thing that does kind of weird me about this episode is like how... What's wrong? Well, nothing serious. Just a power fluctuation in the annular confinement. Chief O'Brien's really underreacting to what's happened here. It's <laughs> <laughs> impossible. What happened? Well, I stabilized the beam, but according to our sensors, they never materialize at their destination. They're just gone. He basically just like vaporized, you know, like the high command of like his entire ship. Come on. And he's acting like the like the office copiers on the Fritz, you know. <laughs> you believe this sleeping beauty asking me questions? Yeah. There's the one who just wants to go home, and then there's the one who's like a psycho killer nihilist. Mm-hmm. Good cop, bad cop. We've been working all night. Why don't we forget about? Oh, this guy? that guy just wants to go home. I just want to go home and see. Ah, he said it. Some sleep. What are you, an anarchist? What are bureaucrat. you, an anarchist? Yeah. Bureaucrat cops. Though I do like the matching pajamas. All right, let's see some logo. Logo. ID. Art cops, well armed. <laughs> yeah. UAC card, transit pass. Where are we? What happened to Starfleet headquarters? Oh, perfect. Just what we need. Two more dims. Those shotguns, uniforms. Yeah. This, this is weird, like this Ghostbusters is... outfits. Yeah, probably from the last time you were in a sanctuary district. Sanctuary district? What year is this? Same year as it was yesterday, 2024. Let's go. I lived in San Francisco for a few years, and this episode, frankly, gives me the creeps. Like, How so? Too real? It's too real. So this is Market Street, right? Mm. Like, I live south of Market, near the Tenderloin. It's, uh, it's a harsh area. Like The Tenderloin's rough. So a lot of people just sleeping on the street. and yeah. like. But it's, it's like the Tenderloin has, has the people who are really the worst off in a number of ways. Like, way worse than the mission. I started my, like, 90s Trek rewatch there, I think, for a reason. I don't know. When I moved into San Francisco, I was still some kind of, like, alter Bolshevik or whatever. By the time I left, I was just, like, looking for the space comrades. What are you, a Posadist? <laughs> yeah. That's what happened to Elon Musk. I fucking love this theme song. It's very majestic. They rescore it later to make it a little more like uh, Steve Reich or Philip Glass. I I fucking love the rescore. Yeah, they ruined it. It gives it a wartime pulse. And I love the way they jiggle the themes around the meters and shit. Yeah, I guess I don't know as much about music as you do, so I probably wouldn't. No, I'd just be like, why is this weird, like, synth shit or whatever? Like, <laughs> the other thing I like about DS9 is that, like, half the actors have, like, weirder names than, like, the alien characters they play or whatever. 
Oh my god, Nana Visitor. Yeah, Nana Visitor, like, that's... That's, that's such like, a cool name. That is a cool name, but it's also, like, weirder than the one, like, she's given. Yeah. So, so Dax is now meeting a media billionaire who I, I think is closest to Jack because he's not evil. Mm-hmm. What happened? Did you get jacked or something? Jacked? You know, robbed. He's not totally hated. Oh. You get the sense that maybe they, he's got a good heart. Did they get your credit chips, your ID? He's not like Peter mm-hmm. Thiel or something like that. Right. Or Zuckerberg. It's like they got everything. Right. But he could be Zuckerberg. I don't know. What, do you live near here? Uh, can you get home? It looks like he'd be a character if they ever made a Neuromancer adaptation. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the 80s. Well, you shouldn't be walking around without ID. Yeah, he's a very 80s-looking billionaire. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You can use my interface terminal if you wish. My office is just around the corner. He yes. needs a man bun and sandals. Twenty-four. <laughs> Complete the look. That's a pretty name. What is that, Dutch? <laughs> Something like that. It's very kind of you to help me. Oh, don't mention it. It's not every day that I get to rescue a damsel in distress. Let me help you. Yeah, I thought like, suit. What are you doing? We already like kind of passed like the '80s like nostalgia cycle or whatever. So I don't know if it would come back around in 2024 fast enough. But the logic, the way culture works now, who the fuck knows? Right. I mean, things are going to get stupider, but I don't know if they're going to get that stupid. I'm still counting on 20 year cycles. This is how San Francisco looks now, though. Like Market like, Street looks like that. Like this Market TV studio set, basically. Yeah. That's why Star Trek has such a, like, a long tradition of like going back to San Francisco for some reason. It's just they didn't have enough money for sets. Nothing good. So they would just use whatever sets were lying around or go out and film in California. According to their sensors, our transporter signal disintegrated immediately after we began the beam-out sequence. That doesn't agree with our records. The system logs show... <laughs> this is still pretty casual for, like, our boss is dead. Well, that's good news anyway. But the question is where... I wish I knew. Kira's bringing it to the table. O'Brien, it's like, you had one job, dude. You're the transporter guy, you know? <laughs> like, well, yeah. He's you the know, chief engineer now. You know, he's been off the Enterprise for a couple of years. Just reacting to the accumulation of chroniton particles in the ship's hull. Chroniton particles? They're emitted by the cloaking device. She goes, chronotron particles? That sounds like some Star Trek bullshit. Time <laughs> since the cloaking device was installed... There's never been a problem before. I don't know why there should be one now. If he's like, oh, no, I fucked up, then everyone's going to think he fucked up. But if he can stay cool, calm, and collected, you know, maybe it'll be okay. Tell me that's a clue. It's a clue, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, this machine's fucked up. I don't even know what's going on. I mean, like... <laughs> that is how you play it at work. You're just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this thing is so fucked. I literally did that today with something I broke. Like, <laughs> I saw these two walk on screen, and I'm like, Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They got those brown jump shoes. Probably transporter shock. Sorry. Is that guy also in Battlestar Galactica? He plays the really skeezy guy. Probably. Uh, Ronald D. Moore uh, did a bunch of writing for Deep Space Nine. So uh, he created Battlestar Galactica. So probably. This is not the Earth we're used to, Doctor. That's still at least a century away. I wonder what happened to Dax. She was caught in the so I know at this point in the series, like Bashir was kind of like people didn't like him because he was like the sort of like greenhorn, like jackass. Well, he's, he's also like a fuck boy and like a posh asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must be why I like him. We find big, big fan of fuck boys. I don't really like any of these characters, to be honest. 
Hey, hey, fuck away rights, alright? I know the guy who played Bashir gets, like, way more handsome when he got older. I remember seeing, like, a picture of him, like, ten years later, and it... What is this place? Sanctuary District. 21st century history is not one of my strong points. Too depressing. It's been a hobby of mine. They made some ugly mistakes. But they also paved the way for them. So this is when uh, Cisco is explaining poverty to Bashir. A bad one. By the early 2020s, there was a place like this in every major city in the United States. Yeah, this is the screen cap, actually, that's been going around. You know, people with criminal records weren't allowed in the sanctuary districts. Then what do they do to deserve this? Nothing. Just people. Without jobs or places to live. <laughs> so they get put in here? Welcome to the 21st century, Doctor. Hold it right there. So some background on this episode. They wanted to have something that talks about homelessness. So that was their first impetus. And they wanted to talk about like what it would look like for homeless people to organize themselves or something. Because they were filming in you know California and they saw this as a crisis. Uh, but they didn't want it to be like a Martin Luther King kind of like nonviolent march. They wanted it to be more conflictual. And while they were doing it, the mayor of L.A. at the time talked about basically rounding homeless people up into camps at the edge of the city. And, you know, there was backlash, so it never happened. But now it's it's probably going to happen because Trump just appointed this homelessness czar um, who is building these concentration camps for homeless people. And there's recent Supreme Court stuff about it. I remember reading that, yeah, at the time they were literally going to call them like a sanctuary or whatever. Mm. And like, yeah, they basically nixed the plans like like around the time that this show aired. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe they'll give them some work to do. Very. Yeah. Give them something to concentrate on. You mean my tattoos? This is amazing work. Where did you have them done? Japan? How did you guess? Well, I used to have one myself. A Maori tribal pattern used to go all the way down my arm. Got it in high school back in the 90s, just like everybody else. Of course, I had to have it removed. Well, you know how it is. To get the government contracts, you have to look like all the rest of the drones. So I guess that makes me a sellout. Not necessarily. What I love is that Chad Z is like, you know, alien marker blends in perfectly to San Francisco. That's like a Burning yeah. Man thing. Yeah, the, yeah. Tri- yeah, the tribal tattoos, it's very topical, too. Like, another <laughs> solid prediction on their part. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, Channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> She's doing this right. She met Elon Musk. So, what do you think? Does that make me a sellout or not? She knows how to play it. Probably. But I won't hold it against you. Yeah, they met at some, like, play party at the armory. Now she's sugaring him for all he's worth. She does look kind of grimesy at the, in the last scene or at that party that they go to. Mm-hmm. Oh, my I'm God. Saying. Yeah, she's playing NRX Barbie for keeps. <laughs> Left hand. The camps that Trump wants to do. So first you get, like, a tent and you sleep outside the prison. And you have to work your way up through good behavior or whatever to get into the prison. And you get, like, progressively nicer rooms. And as you get towards the the better spot, you can leave. Like, you can earn your way out. Jesus. Shit. 
That's really dystopian. This guy, uh, Stephen Marbutt, is like a pioneer of it, and he was just appointed homelessness czar. Garcetti, the current mayor of L.A., who brands himself as very progressive, is is seems like he's more or less behind this, as along with the rest of the Democratic establishment in Los Angeles. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, Jesus. I guess it came a little early in this timeline. No fingerprint record, no interface account. It's like you two don't exist. But since we don't exist, why not let us go? Yeah, well, let's see. You don't have any ID. You don't have any money. And you're both dressed like clowns. You figure it out. Please fill out these forms. Answer all questions to the best of your ability. If you cannot speak English, an interpreter will be provided. This is like some Foucaultian, like, nightmare shit. Is any part of this form you do not understand? It's a combination of that plus just the normal bureaucracy that exists today. Forms. Like, this office that they're in right now looks exactly like the food stamps offices I've been to in Brooklyn. It's a little nicer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Now, this looks like the one I've been to in San Francisco. I mean, aside from, like, the bars on the gates. There's a rejection of welfare in this narrative. Yeah. And, and I, I think the betrayal of the welfare office as so contemporary is meant to say... This is what bureaucracy looks like. This is what welfare looks like. It's demeaning. I know what, happened to what they want is the Federal Employment Act, which is full employment. So it's not just a generous welfare state. Because there's like three kinds of people, right? There's the the gimmies. There's mm. the highest level of people. The people who want a job. And then there's the ghosts or the, the criminals. But then a lot of people are just schizophrenic and they need medical treatment. They're known as the dams. The dams, right. Um, yeah. So these three people just like shouldn't be in the same welfare office office together you know anyway i think the way they separate it is uh kind of reactionary or or just liberal i guess we're supposed to how much time are we talking about days weeks more like centuries i like this moment right here though like sometimes you really can't tell if avery brooks is like a brilliant actor if he's just being a weirdo and like this is one of them (laughs) I don't think there's much of a difference. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely in like that, like that Christopher Walken kind of school where it's just like, what the fuck is he doing? But I think this is brilliant, you know. That was an interesting scene. We've been here three hours and the line has barely moved at all. I got one word for you, pal. Plenty of overtime. It, part of it is, yeah, just Avery Brooks being weird, but some of it is also just kind of like what somebody from, yeah, like this future utopian society, how they would maybe like react to something like that, you know? Well, like a big part of this is that in the future, they have empathy. <laughs> right. And like at this point, people have just forgotten that empathy is a possibility because everything's so bureaucratized. There's like a conservative aspect to that, too. It's not just the bureaucracy. It's the austerity. I thought the implication was that they need to make changes, including having a better welfare state to take better care of people. Yeah, yeah. The crazy people should be properly medicated. These people are mentally ill. They need proper medical treatment. I know, but they're not going to get it. Not now, anyway. A lot of homeless people could live a good life if they had their mental health problems treated. It says August 30th, 2024. I'm not sure I understand. You ever hear of the Bell Riots? Vaguely. It is one of the most violent civil disturbances in American history, and it happened right here. San Francisco Sanctuary District A, the first week of September, 2024. But that's only a few days from now. Which means, if we don't get out of here soon... 
will be caught right in the middle. So it is kind of like reformist in that sense, and that these are the people from like the communist future, like dropped back into this like historical moment. And so now they have to go, okay, well, this thing, even though you know World War Three and a bunch of crazy shit followed it, but in the broader like dialectic of history, this was like a pivotal moment that needed to occur. The sanctuary residents will take over the district. Some of the guards will be taken hostage. The government will send in troops to restore order. Hundreds of sanctuary residents will be killed. Becoming from the future, it gives them like a literal. It's not even teleological. It's just what happened. So yeah, they right. have to sort of like preserve the, like the sequence of events. Temporal displacement policy may sound good in the classroom, but to know that hundreds of people are going to die and to not be able to do a thing to save them. Yeah, so, and then you get space communism. If it will make you feel any better. The riots will be one of the watershed events of the 21st century. Gabriel Bell will see to that. Bell? The man they named the riots after. He is one of the sanctuary residents who will be guarding the hostages. The government troops will storm this place based on rumors that the hostages have been killed. It turns out the hostages were never harmed because of Gabriel Bell. In the end, Bell sacrifices his own life to save them. He'll become a national hero. Outrage over his death and the death of the other residents will change public opinion about the sanctuaries. They'll be torn down, and the United States will finally begin correcting the social problems it had struggled with for over a hundred years. And all of this is going to happen in the next few days. Which means, if we warn these people about what's coming, if we try to help them in any way, we risk altering a pivotal moment in history, and we can't let that happen. Hey. I hate to break up your intimate conversation, but you're next. This is uh, uh, the same lady who would be in the Joker. Yeah, it's uh, it very much reminds me of the Joker. Yeah. She's a good bureaucrat. She knows the system is fucked. But she also uses like the weird future slurs or whatever. I want to see like a one scene set in this timeline with like was like a stand-up comedian being like, you know, Dims be acting, you know. Supposed to be Dims, but you're not, are you? I hope you're not disappointed. Pleasantly surprised, just more like it. I guess I owe you an apology. If I had known you were gimmies, I could have processed your application much sooner. Gimmies? They're American slang terms. I try not to use them, but it's a bad habit. Gimmies are people like you, people who are looking for help, a job, a place to live. No, and what about the Dims? Don't they need help? The Dims should be in hospitals, but the government can't afford to keep them there, so we get them instead. I hate it, but that's the way it is. She's like, I'm sorry to use this term, but you guys are gimmies. <laughs> and those wanna... are the people who want jobs. Um, actually, yeah, those are the, that's what you want to be. You want to be a gimme. Got a place to stay, or anyone who can vouch for you. No, we were traveling with a friend, but we were separated right after we arrived. I so... do like how this is written as like this is the kind of story a homeless person would tell. Well, in that case, I'm afraid you're going to have to stay here in the sanctuary for the time being. You mean we can't leave? It's for your own safety. Really? Yeah, this is a bureaucratic nightmare. What about jobs? How are we supposed to find a place to work? Like, the thing about the Federation is that it's a sort of Lasallian fantasy. The state is still there. There's still, like, a military hierarchy. I wish I could give you a definite answer, but jobs are hard to come by right now. What with the economy and all? You know, things are planned, and it has virtuous results on the people. They're your ration cards. You can use them to get food and water at any of the distribution points in the district. Hang on to them. 
there is a sort of overlap with Republican kind of flirtations in the Marxist tradition with the conservatism that Andy's talking about. Thanks for your help. One more thing, a little advice. Stay away from district security. They've had their budget cut again. They're overworked and underpaid. Just give them a lot of space. And watch out for ghosts. Ghosts? That's what we call people who haven't integrated well into the sanctuary. They can be dangerous, and they tend to prey on other residents. People like Deep Space Nine because it goes these places that TNG wouldn't, but that could be read in a number of ways. Dax to Cisco. The futurism of the 60s that Star Trek came out of was a sort of blend of utopianism and like extreme capitalist futurism. There's this idea that like technology was just going to make things so much better that there eventually just wouldn't be work and money anymore. Back then they treated it as like a foregone conclusion. Like obviously there would be UBI, obviously there would be colonies in space and all this stuff. Now it has to be a little bit more ideological. Checking. No one matching their descriptions has been admitted to any of the city hospitals or trauma wards. That's good news. Look, uh, I would like to know how this turns out. Uh, I'm having a little get-together here tomorrow in the office, and I'd like you to come, if you want, uh, you and your friends. But I think there is still anarcho-capitalist conception of the Star Trek future. Well, in this episode, it says that we need riots in order to get to space communism. Good luck. Thanks, I could use it. It definitely takes a turn in the fourth Star Trek movie, where they first mention no money or whatever. I think Andy is, is right about the earlier Star Trek stuff. And in the 80s, early 90s, when Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, is said to be at his most sanctimonious and unbearable, he gets this strong utopian streak mm. that really changes the politics of the series. So sure. One of the main complaints against the sanctuary districts was overcrowding. It got to the point where they didn't care how many people were in here. They just wanted to keep them out of sight. And once they were out of sight... What then? I mean, look at this man. There's no need for him to live like that. With the right medication, he could lead a full and normal life. Maybe in our time. Not just in our time. There are any number of effective treatments for schizophrenia. Even in this day and age. They could cure that man now, today, if they gave a damn. It's not that they don't give a damn. They've just given up. The social problems they face seem too enormous to deal with. That only makes things worse. Causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you have forgotten how to care, that's really hard to understand. They'll remember. It will take some time and it won't be easy. But eventually people in this century will remember how to care. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Are humans really any different than Cardassians or Romulans? If push comes to shove, if something disastrous happens to the Federation, if we are frightened enough or desperate enough, how would we react? Would we stay true to our ideals or would we just stay here? Right back where we started. I don't know. But as a Starfleet officer, it's my job 
to make sure we never have to find out. This is their diagnosis of society today. It's you not know, very materialist. Now. In a way, it is, because things have become so bureaucratized. Get his food card. Remember, doctor, we can't interfere. You got a problem? All of, like, the real care, all of the human-to-human thing has been, like, mediated by bureaucracy, and it ends up in these sanctuary camps. I don't blame the bureaucracy for that. I blame austerity for that. They're not funding this bureaucracy or this, quote-unquote, welfare at all. They blame the repeal of the Federal Jobs Act, so, like, people don't have jobs, but... No, thanks. We got this guy roaming the streets. Andy, in your notes, you called this guy Kid Rock. He's like a white, lumpen, rock star guy. Um, He's vaguely racist. Well, in that case, you better look somewhere else, new boy. You heard what he said. Let's go. He's wearing a fedora, okay? That's like pickup artist <laughs> incel energy. And he looks like Eddie Vedder, so I called him incel Eddie Vedder. Yeah, he calls Cisco new boy, which I don't like. But, yeah, it uh, definitely has some undertones to it. Yeah. Uh, I think in general, though, there's like no race written into this at all. Like, that's about it. There's people of color in the sanctuary, but it's, it seems like it's mostly white. Theory. There's a lot of people yeah. in those fedoras. I mean, the year 2024 has woke capitalism. So, like, the problem is, yeah. maybe they've right. abolished uh, racial disparities, but not class disparities. I mean, like the imaginary for what like a homeless camp might look like, I think, kind of is derived from the depression. You know what I mean? I feel like that's kind of what they're what they're pulling from in terms of like production design for this episode, which is why yeah it it looks like not particularly modern. Even I feel like even the guy with the fedora is kind of a nod to like the kind of the past image of like the huddled masses like you know lining up for bread and shit like that. They're just not so far off though because the biggest asshole at the homeless camp kind of looks like that today. <laughs> yeah, maybe the fedora um, has proved surprisingly hard to kill. I actually oh. wrote a history of it for Broadly one time, if anybody's interested. <laughs> how it became the uh, international symbol of douchebaggery. It's, I mean, I feel like that actor is playing high school bully in, like, an after-school special. You know what I mean? But the energy he brings to it is, like, different than maybe kind of what this material requires. I don't know. That, it's Biff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody. Like, how, like, how are we to believe that this guy is, like, terrorizing anybody? You know what I mean? He leads a roving gang of pickup artists. Uh, Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. They're always strangely pathetic, but that doesn't stop them from being dangerous. Nope. He runs a gang that shakes people down for their, their like, welfare cards, their EBT mm. cards. How would that so even work? Like, really that'd be tied to somebody. Like, can't, you can't just go up there with, like, five cards, like... <laughs> I mean, it's five portions today. You can with an EBT card. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I was going to ask, what actor does that guy on the right look like? But I guess he is an actor. Look, I told you. Damn. That's deep. I, I do recognize a lot of these, the, the sanctuary people. Like, Clint Howard is in it later, or someone who looks yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clint Howard, that's the one I was thinking of. Is that the character in- actor who's, like, the mm-hmm. crazy guy? I don't know. Yeah, he's been in every uh, televised uh, Star Trek. Like, he series. often plays a homeless person mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, he was uh, he was some kind of dealer in Star Trek Discovery, and he was a baby that was like an alien in like a TOS episode. Hey, uh, we weird. Baby Yoda. 
<laughs> Beat me to it. Maybe we can make a deal after all. Well, at least now, we look like we belong here. Yeah, and we smell just as bad as everyone else, too. So they're going through the squat now. Stay away from him. Things are so fucked up in this squat that as soon as someone approaches, this guy just comes up to them with a knife. Yeah, that's really telegraphing expectations. We're new here. We're just trying to get to the roof, get a better look at the place. I feel like things would be a little bit more chill in there, but... Believe me, it doesn't look any better from up there. So I guess they confiscate their guns or whatever when they bring them in there, or... This is the context of what they can do in 90s TV, but I feel like an actual thing would be, like, even more intense than this. He was beaten up by some ghosts. My wife went to get help, but there's only one doctor on duty at the processing center. Well, why don't you let me take a look? I, I know a little bit about medicine. Julian. Kind of to just look. It is kind of a dim view of how people would behave when just thrown into this territory together. Very Lord of the Fliesy. I'm just gonna take a quick look here, okay? I don't doubt it at all. I think it would be really bad. I had people just swing at me in the tenderloin and shout transphobic stuff. This accumulates in riots, right? People don't even have to be that nice to each other to like have a shared social interest in. I guess living in this ghetto kind of sucks, and that being pit against each other is is part of it. You're going to be okay. You're going to need some clean rags and something to disinfect these wounds. Alcohol should do. I think I can get some. There's going to be both, I think. There's crime in the ghetto, there's interpersonal violence, and there's also community and cooperation. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we see this later on when... when it's like we made a new friend. The political questions really rise to the surface of, like, what are we struggling for? This raises a lot of questions about the category of the lumpen proletariat. You could use another doctor. I don't really practice anymore. But there are people here who need you. I'm sorry, but they'll have to get along without me. This guy in the middle really wants to better things for everybody. And he's got like a unifying vision of like, we're all in this together. Not here anytime soon. This is your home now. The only help we're gonna get is from each other. And if we don't start pulling together, we're finished. All we want is to be left. He seems like a National Lawyers Guild guy. I thought you wanted to get out of here. We do. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, the only way that's gonna happen is if we get organized and let people on the outside know what's going on in here. Do whatever you want, just leave us out of it. We need to, like, demand something and act together. And then there's the ghost, the Kid Rock guy, who's really in it for himself, and he's kind of a hooligan and a criminal. And you want to help us and help yourselves. You know where to find me. And those characters are always going to fuck it up for the, the good guys, you know? He's been reading Sterner. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Sterner. A seafloor mining project is almost ready to go into operation. Now, the pan-Caribbean government did have some misgivings, but I think we won them over. They're going to talk about the Neo-Trotskyists now. I just came back from Christchurch. Yes, did a little skiing on Mount Cook. <laughs> You're lucky. We had to cancel our trip to the Alps this year because of the student protests in France. I thought the Neo-Trotskyists were going to put a stop to that. They're not having any more luck than the Gaullists did. Europe is falling apart. Well, at least we don't have to worry about that kind of thing here. Yeah. 
Don't count on it. The neo-Trotskyists have to put down the student protests. You'll have to excuse Jadzia's cynicism. She was just mugged. The likely fate of neo-Leninism. Kind of things bound to give a negative impression of the future. So, who mugged you? Did you see them? But I guess, actually, the Gaullists, like, survive as a political party, and this time, instead of Macron versus, who's the fascist lady? Le Pen. It's like Mélenchon versus whatever Gaullist thing. You were lucky the police didn't find you first. You know, they're not too far off in terms of, like, there's a struggle of extremism going on in France. I have ended up in a sanctuary district. I thought they stopped doing that. Why would they? It's the only way to keep those people off the streets. But instead of Excuse us a minute. Melanchon or like a Syriza kind of thing, Le Pen is supposed to be some somewhat Gaullist. I'm not sure. I think there is oh, yeah. a Trotskyist party, though, that there that gets like 1% of the vote or something uh, like that. There's two Trotskyist parties that have almost identical programs. It's amazing <laughs> for Trotskyists, but they're just locked in like a petty political death struggle. So, I don't, you know. You don't say. <laughs> that's a shame. It's on brand, though. Who could have seen yeah. that coming? Yeah, that's, I, I think that's the biggest surprise in the neo-Trotskyists in France is that they got their act together in, in the next four years to become the uh, Syriza of France. Hey, stranger things have happened. Wow, the left is doing uh, well enough that they can suppress a social movement now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the interesting point about that comment is like, I interpreted saying if the shoe was on the other foot, the neo-Trotskyists would be suppressing the 68 rioters, which yeah. is sort of this, like, liberal revulsion to revolution. Uh, hold on. I mean, there were yeah, Communist Party people telling the 68ers to go home. Like, the writers of the show are not wrong. I just think that they're saying that for liberal reasons as opposed to... Maybe, Maybe they're like, saying it for left-com reasons. Who knows? I don't think so. It, it read cool. left-com well, to me. it might not necessarily fit into an ideological whole. I mean, it's just a, a sort of observation, right? I don't think we're supposed to take the welfare apparatus that exists in 2024 San Francisco at face value as, like, having a good way of segregating things. But there are certainly internal divisions. The moral of the story with the neo-trots and the gaullists is that, you know, politicians are the same and they're ineffective against collective struggle. Yes. Well, that's true. Leave him alone! So what's going on right now is Belle, who leads yeah. this uprising. Are you all right? Shows up to try to save Cisco and gets stabbed right. and dies. So, history has been changed. Big Starfleet rule don't mess with the timeline. They did the opposite of killing baby Hitler. <laughs> they killed baby Lennon. He never would have gotten hurt if it wasn't for us. Like, why are they allowed to time travel? It just seems like too much could go wrong. It's a transporter accident. They do time travel in this show. They do a lot. Sometimes on purpose, but usually not. And, like, you don't know what might fuck up the timeline, too. It could be something relatively minor. They're not supposed to do this. One of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine is the Tribbles episode. They go back to an original series episode with, like, Kirk and stuff, and they're they're messing around. They get visited by, like, this kind of, like, yeah. Internal Affairs Bureau that, like, yep. investigates, like, time travel crime or whatever. Temporal investigations. Oh, it's funny as hell. 
the other thing is it's also like the wormhole it has like these non-temporal beings or whatever so there is like a lot of time travel just based on that as well there's definitely more of it in this show than others for now but they're the least of our worries that man who just got killed trying to help us that man was Gabriel Bell If only I'd had my med kit. Or even if I'd got him to a hospital, I might have been able to save him. You did all you could, Doctor. But it wasn't enough, was it? A good man died because of us. And what about the hostages? What's going to happen to them? Without Bell, there's a good chance those hostages are going to die. And if that happens, how is it going to affect the future? We have to save them. Whatever it takes, we have to make sure those hostages survive. All right, Chief, let's get over to the transporter room before we change our minds. Too late, Major. Looks like Starfleet's changed our minds for us. Headquarters thinks our plan's too risky. They're afraid that while we're searching for Cisco and the others, we may contaminate the timeline. Get me Admiral Wright. Basically, this whole spaceship portion is just pointing out that because Gabriel Bell was killed... Getting any response from Starfleet? Is there something wrong with our communications array? I was just talking to Starfleet security when my comm line went dead. There's nothing wrong at our end. They can no longer communicate with the Federation. Space communism doesn't fucking exist. People tell you that smashing a window won't accomplish anything, but if you don't smash that window... The future United Nations will never establish itself. Yeah, you'll never get to post-scarcity utopia if you don't burn down that Arby's. <laughs> what is it, Chief? They're not there. The entire Earth satellite network is gone. The space docks? The orbital habitats? All of it. The Utopia Planitia Yards on Mars? The terraforming stations of Venus? Starfleet headquarters? I'm not detecting a single sign of Starfleet activity. Did the humans establish the Federation? Yeah, with the Vulcans, the Tellarites, and the Andorians. The only subspace signals I'm detecting are from the vicinity of Alpha Centauri. And they're Romulan. The Romulans control the universe. And in the power vacuum, the dick Vulcans took over. The only reason they're still there is because they had some kind of magical energy bubble around them. Was it the chroniton particles again? Polarized the chroniton particles, created some kind of subspace bubble around the ship, isolated it from the changes in the timeline. Yeah, it's those dank chroniton particles. One thing's for certain. Right now, this ship is all that's left of Starfleet. Thought you didn't want to get involved. We've changed our minds. Glad to hear it. We can use all the help we can get. This place is about to explode. Most of us agreed to live here because they promised us jobs. I don't know about you, but I haven't been on any job interviews lately. And neither has anyone else. They've forgotten about us. So what do we do? We make them remember. Day after tomorrow. Going to hold a rally outside the processing center. I want everyone to be there. Gimme's, ghosts, even the dims. I want to remind the people outside that we haven't done anything wrong. 
that we're not criminals and that we don't deserve to live like this. We'll spread the word. Good. One more thing. Tell people when they come to the rally to bring their families, their kids, and try to look their best. You know, we want to get those kids front and center. We're not derelicts, no matter what they say about us. And I could probably use a shave. Not to mention a bath. We all have to bathe. We have to look good. We got to do respectability politics. Exactly. NLG, baby. Yeah, people got to unite and struggle. You were right. Your friends are in Sanctuary District A. When can we get them out? Well, it might not be that easy. The Sanctuary personnel first have to find them. There's something like 10,000 people in there. Did they say how long it would take? They're not sure, but don't worry. Your friends are fine. That's the whole point of the Sanctuary, to give people in trouble food and a place to stay. If that's all it's for, then why is there a wall around it? In two days, in front of the processing center. Will you spread the word? Right. Okay, you got it. The day after tomorrow. Try to be there until everyone else you need. That's uh, 500 people we talked to today. That only leaves about 9,000 to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. What's going on? One of the guards got in a fight with the dim down, down at processing. Now everyone's going crazy. I have to find my dad. We got some Molotovs thrown. Hell yeah. One thing that's not very realistic is like these guards would be way more armed. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, they would shoot everyone. 2024, that dude's got like six guns. Yeah, may have to beat up the nice cop too. Yes. This hooliganism. Oh, there's an Antifa guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, next time there's like, you know, like a social tantrum, we gotta go out there in a Starfleet uniforms, throw Molotovs, hand out pamphlets as the friends of Gabriel Bell. Third time is LARP, baby. <laughs> I cannot take him seriously in that hat. I'm a lady. My name is Kid. <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't like exude the sense of menace that it really needs to. He's in Saletti. Yeah, he just seems like a racist gamer. <laughs> hey, Big some men just want to watch the world burn. We live in a society. You don't think racist gamers are going to take power? Take him and throw him back there along with the rest of our uh, guests. What the hell do you think you're doing? I think I am making a political statement. Maybe if we're lucky, I might even be able to stage a nice little uh, photo op. I hope that meets with your approval. Take power. He says he's making Probably a political not. statement. As he says. That guy is not like Zoe Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, he does not. All right. This is about ethics and games journalism. Okay, time for this. And I know I won't be disappointed. They're taking the bureaucrats hostage. Ain't that right, new boy? And he's doing it basically for revenge, right? Mm. The name is Bell. Gabriel Bell. But Bell, if Bell were there, he would understand the political importance of everyone well, together. He, d- he does have, like, sort of a vulgar analysis. He says, treat people like animals, get bit. I'm like, yeah, that is what happens or what should happen. It's materialist enough for me. Oh, let's end up to the. Um, so every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Indeed. 
So, I guess we have a little lull here. How do we feel about Past Tense Part 1? Pretty good so far. I thought it would be more commie, because the only thing I knew about Star Trek really was Andy's article saying that it's a libertarian socialist show about space communism. I was like, federal jobs guarantee. Well, you know, incrementalism, I guess. We got a ways to go. It's like space communism with liberal characteristics. Like it better than the second. At least just from like a dramatic standpoint, you sort of have the moment where they're in like the welfare office or whatever. And like Cisco looks at the clock and kind of like realizes like it kind of breaks down what's happening. It's like, holy shit, you know, and then you get kind of like the big money line at the end where it's like, you know, name's Bill, Gabriel, Bill, you know, <sighs> the way it's directed is kind of punchy and actually does kind of uh, it's kind of work. But yeah, the second half, like that's where it kind of gets more of me into like the concrete political determinations of it. And that's where it gets a little not, not quite as compelling. I liked both parts. I sort of feel like Cisco and and Dax and company, like going back to the past to watch the Bell riots, because I sort of already know what happens based on like the the backstory of Star Trek. So it seems kind of slow, and I'm kind of just like sleeping through it, and like, oh yeah, the hostages and the police are going to come in. Like, like I already know what happens. Um, mm. nuclear World War Three, which is coming no matter what anyone does. Mm. Maybe spoilers do ruin things. Interesting. Would this be a good time to go into some of the stuff about the the sanctuary and its connections to contemporary politics? I think this would be a perfect time to break into that. All right. So first of all, this guy, Chris Brenner, he's like the billionaire character. He has a thing called Channel 90. So there's an internet, right? What do they call it? The, oh, I forget. It's, it's uh, called the net, right? Something like that. So so there's like a channel 90 on the net that is this sort of participatory media network. And that's got to be Twitter or Facebook. But it seems a little bit more like Twitter today. Ooh, um, prediction. Yeah. And that comes really into play in the next episode where who's banned from Twitter ends up being a major factor in the whole storyline. Oh my God. Wow. Paging Laura Loomer. <laughs> hey, uh, original series predicted iPads. <laughs> or did they invent iPads and then. And interracial marriage. <laughs> they invented that too. So according to the memory alpha uh, fandom about the bell riots, the conceptualization of the bell riots began after Robert Hewitt Wolf one of the writers, suggested doing a DS9 episode about homelessness. Even though he and Ira Stephen Bear tried several ways of doing the story, they're particular about what the former protests against homelessness would take. Bear recalled, we certainly don't want to do a Martin Luther King, which would have been an obvious way to go. We didn't want to have Cisco leading a march or a protest. Um, so ultimately, they chose the Bell Riots based on the Kent State shootings and on Attica the Attica prison revolts. So they saw change coming from the grassroots as more of a riot than as a protest. Um, oh, yeah. And so just to try to wrap it up quickly, that relates to what's going on today because Trump wants to make these concentration camps for homeless people in LA. There's been a lot of stories recently on you know mainstream news networks about like the blights of homelessness, how it's ruining property values, um, how these people are dangerous and stuff. This comes and goes. And there was a wave of it when the show was written. 
but it's become for a few weeks it was like all Trump was talking about. And it was because there was a Supreme Court case coming up. It was originally an Idaho case where the judges found that it's cruel and unusual punishment to imprison someone for being homeless unless there's adequate housing. The Supreme Court decided not to appeal that case. So that's going to stand. How the Trump administration is going to deal with that is they appointed this guy, Stephen Marbutt, to make these prison camps, and that will serve as the adequate housing. So now police will further criminalize homelessness, not by charging you with a crime, but by bringing you to these adequate housing, you know, camps where you'll have to work your way up. Concentrated. Yeah. And the reason, you know, besides the fact that it's the concentration camp and a prison and criminalizing homelessness and all this, is that people need social connections to rebuild their lives. Obviously, they need help from the society in general, the wealth of society. They could use that, of course. But a lot of people are homeless because they've really fallen on hard times and they need people to help them back up. And putting them in the camp is not going to help them. People don't literally pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You need your community. You need your family. And putting people into this kind of neoliberal gamified structure where they're all just operating as these atomized individuals is the last thing that they need. Exactly. This is basically the Lazarus pit from the Dark Knight Rises. You know, like you <laughs> yeah. can you can get out of this situation, but you have to be able to like climb this rope and then make this jump and then you can get out if you've earned it. You know, it's not it's impossible. Like, these idiots thought of it based on that. What if the welfare state was a Japanese game show? <laughs> <laughs> We're honestly not that far from it. You know, as bad off as people are, like there's a very small amount of, of people who are living on the street who are going to benefit from that kind of thing. It's going to be. It's just going to be a new network of private prisons. That's what's well, going to be. It's like the means testing of welfare reform in the 90s. Like the whole point was yeah. to screen people out of accessing benefits. Yeah. It's like a new generation of that. It's horrible. And that's the end of this chat. Special thanks to Andy and Jamie for their patience in the long gestation period that comes with the territory of arranging a watch-along commentary. As you may already know by our release schedule, I'm a regular hero of socialist labor. Seriously, though, editing a commentary track like this? Hard work. Got to arrange the conversation so we don't just babble over the major plot points, but you want to keep the essence of the conversation, you know? Anyway, double thanks to Jamie and Andy for coming on and watching some Star Trek with us. Craving more Star Trek content from your comrades at Emancipation Network? Hop on over to our sister podcast, Jumpsuit Utopia where we're just finishing up our spoiler-laden episode-by-episode run of Star Trek Picard Season 1, and where we'll be graduating to our relatively spoiler-free takes on more 90s Trek, including Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation. Boldly go, like and follow, Jumpsuit Utopia on social media, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Yes, even that one. 
If you'd like to enable our bong rip shenanigans in ways that cost zero dollars, show approval for Swampside Chats on social media, or leave a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. Except where we've been blacklisted. Maybe complain to your podcatcher of choice if we're not on there. Visit our homepage at swampside.chat for more. Swampside Chats is part of the Emancipation Podcast Network and Research Collective. Check out our comrade podcasts, From Alpha to Omega, General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, and my new project with C. Derek Varn, entitled Mortal Science, at emancipation.network. Coming up next, we present to you part two of the Deep Space Nine episode, Past Tense. Not to mention some analytical Marxism on the environment and a Not One Step Back episode where we review a few texts by Hal Draper. Whether you're snuggling into your quarantine routine or if you're breaking out your hand sanitizer and hazmat suit for your commute into the outside, don't forget to hold our motto close to heart. Keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>